Amen. Well, so far in our series of the Theology of the Hearer, we've looked at two theological truths that we call hearing aids. And these theological truths are meant to help you and I become better hearers of God's Word when it's being preached. Hearing aid number one was that God speaks. Amen? God speaks. We saw in the writer, uh, in the Word of God, in the book of Hebrews, that God has spoken at many times, and He has spoken in many ways, but He has most fully and most clearly spoken through His Son, Jesus Christ, the incarnate Word, and that He continues to speak to us today through His written Word. Now, that was hearing aid number one, God speaks. Hearing aid number two was that God speaks through preaching. That is when the man of God preaches the word of God. That means that he preaches God's stuff. That's what is found within cover to cover of the Bible. When he's preaching that and not good stuff, good stuff is found outside of the Bible, then God is speaking once again. That God is speaking with authority. In fact, if he were to come and show up this morning and say something to us, it would be nothing less or nothing more than what the Word of God is being preached from a day-to-day basis that we have today in this church and any other church that preaches the Word of God. Well, today we want to look at hearing aid number three. And hearing aid number three is that God speaks to transform us. God speaks to transform us. It's one thing to know that he's been speaking from eternity's past, but what is his purpose or reason for speaking to us in these ways? Not only through his word, but through the preaching of the word of God. Ever since the time of Adam and Eve and their fall in the garden, humankind has been in desperate need of transformation, an extreme makeover. Yes, humankind was made in the image of God, he was made in the image of God, but because of sin, that, that, that image was severely marred. That means that now his mind, his body, his, his, his heart, his, his spirit has been completely saturated with sin and corrupted by sin. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that now all of creation and all of humanity is moaning and groaning to try to get back to the place that God has, had first created us. Back to how he had first created Adam and Eve in the garden. And we're all longing for that. And the way that God brings us back to the garden... The way he brings this transformation in you and I about is through his word, through the word of God. And so what we're going to do in Psalm 19, we see a list here of six ways in which God uses the word to transform us. Now, before we look at that, let me give you a little bit of background to Psalm chapter 19. David, King David, is the author of Psalm 19. In the beginning, the first six verses, uh, when he's writing, he's, he's writing on the subject of general revelation. General revelation is basically what you can learn about God through observing the world around you. By looking at creation, there are certain general truths that we can know about God. One, we see a creation, therefore we know there was a creator. We know that God exists. We know that he was immensely intelligent. We can tell that he was incredibly powerful. That's general revelation. Whether a person is a believer in Jesus Christ or not, those things can be understood through observing creation. But then in verse 7, he transitions. 
verses 7 through verse 9, he transitions from general revelation to what we call special revelation. Special revelation are the truths about God that we can't know by looking at a palm tree. They're truths that we can only know by God revealing this truth to us, for God to actually speak to us. And the way in which he does that is through his word. And so what we find here is in these, these, these coming verses is God speaks to us in this way, and he uses six different terms for the word of God. It all means the word of God, all means scripture. He just uses a different term for each one that gives us a little bit different insight to the scriptures. But then he follows on in letting us know how these very scriptures that you and I hold so dearly, how God uses them to bring about change and what kind of change he uses to bring about through the word of God itself. So let's look at these six. Number one, that somebody said beforehand, they go, wow, it's the first time I heard a preacher, a Southern Baptist pre- preacher preach with more than three points. It wasn't just three points. And I said, well, hallelujah, it's six, all right? But we'll try to get through it as quickly as possible. But number one, the word transforms the soul. The word transforms the soul. Look at verse seven. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is just another way of referring to the scriptures. And the word perfect, when he says it's perfect, that literally means to have all the required elements and to be complete. What he's saying is that the word of God lacks nothing. It has everything you need for eternal life. It has everything you need for a life unto God. And it has everything you need to live an abundant life. It is completely sufficient. You don't have to go outside of it to any other book or any other teaching. It's all found within the pages of the word of God. And so he says it is, it is perfect. And, and I love when things come and it's all together, don't you? Don't you love buying a package and everything you need to make, whatever that is, comes within that package? Do you remember being a little kid and wanting that gift that you begged your parents for for Christmas morning? Am I the only one who's done this? And you beg your parents and you see it playing over and over on the television. And you're like, that's the one. That's the one that I want. And you get that gift and you rip it open and they gave you what you wanted and you put it all together and you push on and nothing happens, right? And you sit there and you're like, where are the batteries? And you're ripping everything apart. And then you look at the bottom of the instruction and it says, batteries not included. No, no. I remember getting a gift. It was, I was big into Play-Doh. All right, I mean, Play-Doh is awesome. Love to be able to play. And, and I found the biggest, most awesome Plato set the world had ever seen. It was like a full city, had a fire department, a fire department, right? Had all the different pieces that you need. And I opened it all up and I set it all up. No Plato. Who does that to a kid? You know, and mom, mom tries to get up and she tries to be, you know, so helpful. She's like, don't worry, we'll do what I was a little kid. We'll make our own Plato. No, you don't make Plato. You buy Play-Doh. Where are the colors, right? That's, it. That's what you want. And so, so, but the key is with the word of God, it's not like that. It seems like people are looking all around and they're trying to figure out the next conference and they're trying to read the next book and they're trying to do everything. And what the word of God just keeps saying is everything you need is right here. 
It is completely sufficient for everything you need for your life unto God, for your marriage, for your kids. It's all housed within. And what does this perfect law of the Lord do? He says it revives the soul. The word revive literally means to restore or to regain life. The Bible tells us that before you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. It means that you are spiritually dead. You can't have a relationship with him. You can't communicate with him. You're not mostly dead. You're not partly dead. You are as dead as dead can be. But the miracle of salvation is he brings we people who were once dead back to life. He raises us back to life. How does he do that? He does it. How? Well, the Bible teaches us in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. It says that we are saved by grace through what? Grace through faith, faith, through faith. It's through having faith in Jesus Christ and the completed work of Jesus Christ that you and I go from death into life. But here's the question. How do we come to such faith? How do we place our such faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ? We do it according to Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, which tells us that, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by what, church? By the word of God. You cannot come to faith your children cannot come to faith. Your neighbors can't come to faith apart from the word. You can invite them to church. You can invite them to a hoedown. All that is great. But apart from the word of God being heard in their mind, which is found in this word of God, there is no salvation. But this word that's found within transforms the soul. And it's the only book that does so. So number one, the word transforms the soul. Number two, the word transforms the mind. David goes on to say, the testimony of the Lord is sure. Again, testimony of the Lord speaking of the scriptures. But that testimony of the Lord tells us that this book is God's own self-disclosure. The Bible is God's letter to you, revealing to you personally everything he wants you and I to know about him. It may not be everything that you and I want to know, but it's everything that you and I need to know once again. And the Bible says it's his testimony, and it means to be completely, he says when it's sure, this testimony is sure, it means to be completely confident that something is right. How encouraging is that? To finally find something in this insecure, unsure world that you can actually believe in fully and you don't feel like somebody is going to change the rules on you. Think about science for a minute. Science loves to, to blatantly, braggadociously claim that they're all about the truth. They're not about speculation. They're not about educated guesses. They're all about the facts and only about the facts. Oh, really? Many, many years ago, do you remember, you weren't around at the time, but the best of the scientific community that believed that the world was flat and they would kill you if you said otherwise, right? It is not flat, it is round. I remember being in elementary school and we were learning about all the planets and I got one question wrong in fifth grade. The question was, how many planets are there? I said eight. They said, no, there are nine. And that's the one, I'll never forget, I got that one wrong. Because when I was in middle school, the teachers then told us there are actually eight planets, not nine. Pluto is not really defined as a planet. There's only eight. I want my points back, right, from that test. 
There are not. And then, I, and then I learned as well, maybe you did as well, three states of matter, solid, liquid, gas, only later to find out somebody comes up with a fourth one, it's plasma. That's right, plasma. That's changing as well. Here's my point. As definitive as even the sciences, which is known for its truth, even it and it being braggadocious over a period of time, learns that there's failure within it and there's not truth in it. What the Word of God is telling us is the Word of God, the Bible, is absolutely true. No matter what stage, no matter how much time goes by, no matter where, no matter when, every bit of it is true. Every bit of it is true. And it tells us that this truth right here, what does it do? It makes the wise, it makes wise the simple. We got anybody simple here? All right, before you say yes, let me tell you what that word means. The word simple literally speaks to the inexperienced, uninstructed, uneducated. Now, do we have any of those here? I'm one, right? And what it means, literally in the Hebrew, the word simple literally means an open door. That's not a good thing, all right? You've heard the word earhead? Basically what it means is there's nothing stopping what's going in and out up there. There's no discernment. There's no wisdom, it's just a, a head full of hot air. There's not a whole lot constructive going on. The Bible says that the word of God can take the, mo the, the most uneducated, un unintelligent individual who is completely depart from all of the worldly knowledge and all of the teaching of the world, and they can be the wisest individual in the room because of the word of God. Because they know the truth of God's word, they know how to live their life. There are people that I've known, and, and, and we, we have some of, some of the brightest people. We have, we have Ivy League people who attend our church. We, we, we've got people that I, I sit back and I'm like, I am not worthy. All their degrees and all their abilities, I meet people like this. And not so much here, but other people that I've met from time to time, they're the smartest people in the room, but they're dumb as a brick. And, and, and I don't mean that as being disheartening to somebody. What I mean is in, the real, in, in real life every day, when they're talking about science and they're talking about politics, they know it all. But they know nothing about what it means to live a life unto God. They don't know what it means to raise kids in the admonition of Jesus Christ. They don't know what it means of how they're supposed to be loving their spouse as Christ loved the church and gave them for them. They're completely oblivious to all of that. But the word of God transforms the mind. It brings wisdom even when there is no, per se, intellect as far as the world would describe it. Number three, the world transforms the heart Look at verse 8. David writes, the precepts of the Lord are right. Again, precepts of the Lord, speaking of the scriptures. But here the precepts are specifically talking about the principles that we found taught consistently through the word of God from Genesis to the book of Revelation. And what we, what we read about this is that these principles, he says, are right. The word right is not speaking about the opposite of being wrong. It speaks of direction. The principles in the word of God are laid there for you and I to submit ourselves to, to follow so we know how to walk in this life. We know the correct path to take in the decisions that we make in this world. Uh, Psalm 119, 105 says, The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
And what is the result of you and I submitting ourselves to the things of God and doing things God's way? Note this. He says it brings about and it leads to the rejoicing of the heart. One of the greatest lies of the devil that you and I have fallen to and are tempted to fall to all the time is that true happiness and joy comes from being disobedient to God, to do things that is right in our own eyes. For us to sit back and say, hey, listen, I know the word of God says this, but I think this way will make me happy. And it's such a lie because it never brings to joy. It may bring maybe momentarily some excitement. It may momentarily for a season, the Bible says, a little bit of happiness, but it doesn't bring lasting joy. Instead, the Bible says there is a way that seems right to man, but it leads to what, church? To destruction, It leads to destruction. And he says here, he says, you following the word of God, submitting to the word of God, it leads to joy. James 1.25 says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in all he does. Over and over again, the word says you want to be blessed, follow the path that the Lord of God lays out for you. He's not steering you wrong. It goes on in John chapter 1 and verse 4. The author says, and we are writing these things so that your joy may be full and it may be complete. When the word of God is being preached, this word is trying to lead you unto all joy. That's what it leads us to. Next, the Bible says the word transforms our perception, our perception. He he writes here, he says, the commandments of the Lord are pure. Commandments of the Lord, again, referring to the scriptures themselves, but it's a helpful reminder that what God writes in this book is not a book full of suggestions. He's not saying, hey, look, if you don't have anything better to do, if you don't know which way, here's here's some good advice. You might want to be able to take this No, the word of God is filled with God's binding authoritative laws and commands. This is a conviction that every one of us must live by because not every believer is. Believers often come into the house of God. They sit back and like, all right, preacher, what do you have? He gets up, he preaches the word, and the person is kind of depending, am I going to obey this and listen to it or am I not based on whether my flesh likes it or not? So they'll show up, and if they're like, hey, man, that's kind of a rough word, I think I'll excuse that. I'll wait until next week to try to apply something to my life. Instead, what true conviction is, is to come into the house of God, or any time you approach the word of God and say, God, it's not my way, it's your way. Not my will, your will be done. And God, whatever your word says, no matter how painful it might be to the flesh, no matter how much I must deny the flesh and pick up the cross, no matter what kind of suffering it is, God, I know that your word is true. I know that it is true. I know that it is pure, is what he says here. And he says to him, he says, look, I'm going to obey it no matter what. Why? Because it is pure. The word pure means that it's not mixed or adulterated by any other substance. It's the idea that, the idea of having clarity, kind of like a fresh glass of water. You know it's good because it's pure. You could see right through it. The word of God says of itself that it is pure and that is clear. This is incredibly important because so many people that I'll hear from day to day will come and go, well, Brother Mike, I'd love to be in the word. I just can't be it. It's too confusing. It's too hard to read. It's too complicated. 
I hear people talk all the time, you really, we really shouldn't be too dogmatic about doctrine. That is the doctrines that are in the Word of God because it's, it's so much, there's so many different views and it really can't be understood. The problem with that kind of thinking is it is completely against what the Word of God testifies of itself. What the Word of God is saying is, hey, yeah, it may be tough when you first get in there, but when you submit yourself to the Word, when you study, when you pontificate night and day and reflect on the Scriptures, it doesn't muddy the waters. It makes things crystal clear. So often people are saying, what is the will of God about? The more you're in the Word, the more you begin to crystal clear see what the will of God is all about. One of the most difficult um, funerals that I ever did it was for my brother several years ago, and uh, he had he was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and twelve and a half weeks later, he had died, and uh, and I was nervous about doing the funeral to begin with, especially because my brother was kind of like a bigwig down in the Miami area. He was a vice he was a vice president of a of a Catholic university there, and I knew that there were going to be all these intellects there, these important business people from around the state and representatives, and, and, and all that. And so I begin to think, okay, what is it that I should be saying during this? And people were really good at giving me what I should say, by the way. Uh, people telling me, well, what you should do is you should tell some funny stories about your brother, like him eating a bug. That always goes over well at a funeral. And I'm like, okay, the bug story, got it. All right, well, you know, what you really should do is you should really honor him and the athlete that he was. He was this incredible athlete, Raced for Team USA in Italy, did great, amazing. And, and he goes, that's what you all talk about. Somebody else said, no, you need to talk about his academic accomplishments. That he you know, graduated at the, high, at the top of his class from law school, University of Florida, and that he was able to do this and go on to get his PhD. And, and, and he's done all of these things. This is what you should do. So I've got this message, and I'm like, I don't have enough time to get all this done. So I go to his wife, and she goes, how's it going? I said, it's going fine. And she, told us, she tells me, she goes, so what are, you, what, are you, what are you going to be speaking about? And I said, you know, it's funny that you ask that because I feel as though a lot of people are telling me what it is that I should speak on. She goes, oh, like what? She goes, some people want me to talk about his athletic ability, others his scholarly ability, other people's stories that people have never heard. And she goes, whoa, 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 wait a minute. She goes, Mike, I don't want you to share any of that. She goes, there's only one thing that you need to share in the time like this, in the midst of this type of tragedy, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. She goes, there are going to be people there that are going to burn hell, but bust hell wide open by hearing all the funny stories that they have. What they need to hear is that apart from Christ, there is no hope. John had that, that, that hope. Do they have that hope? Folks, that's incredible crystal clarity that the Word of God gives us in the midst of difficulty of our life. Amen? And that's what the Word does. It gives you that type of life clarity. Two more things very quickly. Uh, number, number, five, number four, the Word, number, no, number five, the Word transforms our attitude. It transforms our attitude. Number nine, it says the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord is speaking of the Word of God once again, but it's also telling what what's the study of the Word of God does in us. When you hear the Word of God, when it's preached, or when you're reading it, and you, you hear it in your own voice, or, or your parents are reading it, or your children are reading it, whoever, you're, you're hearing it. It does something in you that doesn't normally happen in any other aspect of life. 
There's the fear of the Lord that begins to well up in you. That's a awe of who God is, of what he is about, of what his will is, of what his future will is. And you don't get that and live inside of that apart from hearing the word of God. It creates it in us. And he says, in this fear of the Lord, he says, is clean. This means that it's undefiled. He says, everything on earth has been marred by sin. Everything is under the curse. Everything is passing away. Everything is dying. Everything is desiring, moaning. Again, Romans 8 says, to be, to be transformed back into its original condition that God had created us. He says, but there's only one thing that's not corrupt. There's only one thing that's not passing away. The word of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18 says, Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Again, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What this speaks of is it speaks of relevance. How many people are going from church to church, place to place, going, I just want to hear a message that is relevant. Give me something relevant. I'm telling you, there is nothing, nothing more relevant than the Word of God. I cannot make it more relevant. I can make it less if I don't preach it. But there's nothing more relevant to your life right now and for eternity than you find within the Word of God. And finally, the word of God transforms our view. Our view. It says the rules of the Lord are true. Again, what are we speaking about? The scriptures. But the rules specifically here are the judgments of God. It says God's judgments in the past, the present, and the future are all true. And what is true for the part is also true for the whole. Everything that God says about us is true. James tells us that the word of God works like a mirror for us. We don't know who we are. We don't know our spiritual condition unless we go and we look into the word of God, perceive in the word of God. People walking around all the time saying, I'm okay, you okay? And I sit back and go, have you looked in the word of God lately? Have you been in the word? People go, man, I think I'm doing pretty good. My life seems all together. And on the outside, you could see that they're struggling with sin. And you try to encourage them, get in the word. You're not seeing what you look like. The word of God will clearly show you. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing into the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. There's nothing else except for the truth of God's word that can convert your, that can convert your spouse's life, that can bring your children to faith, there's no other book, there's no other material, there's no other word that can change our minds, change our hearts, change our perspective in life, even when everything seems like it can't get any better. Nothing will change our attitude more towards who God is, how great he is, how big he is, 
and nothing will change our view more of ourself than being in the Word of God faithfully. Then here's the question. Why would a preacher of the Word of God preach anything else but the Word? Why would he try to get any other materials that are found outside of the Word of God if he loves his people and he knows that they desire to be transformed in the image and likeness of Christ? He has a desire for souls to be saved. Why would he preach for anything else than is accurately the Word of God that is laid before him and provided for us for that transformation? Here's another question. Why would any person looking for a church look for anything else? Why would they ask for anything else? Why would they beg for anything else? You know, I think about Bible studies, and I want to I approach us in this, even in our small groups. I understand that there are time to, to talk about certain areas of subjects and, and different helpful things within a small group. But what I want to hear more than anything from our congregation is let's just study the Word. Let's just be in the Word. I'm not going to be changed unless I'm in the Word. I'm not going to have the right perspective unless I have the Word. I'm not going to have the right view of myself unless we're in the Word. Just give us the Word. And I would want them to expect the same thing with me. The only way to truly be transformed is through the power of the Word of God, beginning in with salvation and progressive sanctification until the day that you and I are glorified with God. It's always about the word. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. God, I thank you for allowing me to be able to even speak this morning, to be able to have the words to speak. But God, I pray that it's been through the faithfulness of your word. I pray within this place this morning, there is a great conviction among this congregation. I would sit back and go, God, your word is sufficient. God, I pray that even right now that the hearts of everyone in here, maybe they've believed this from one time to another, but I pray that they've been encouraged all the more and they say, I want to get in your word, God. I want to be in your word. I want your word in me. I want to know your truth more than ever before. I want to proclaim it more than ever before. I want to proclaim it to my children so that salvation would come about because it won't come about apart from the truth of your word. God, we thank you for it. Let, us, let this be conviction. God, I pray for those who are here that have heard the word of God and have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we must repent and believe in you to be saved. I pray that you would even grant faith this morning. Someone come to faith in you and that today would be the day of that salvation. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. I'm going to be down here. If you want to know more about Christ, you want prayer, I'm here to be able to do that. But as for right now, you take in what, what's been said and you respond to God in light of that. All right, let's, let's respond.
All right, the word is, is God's word, amen? And we want to have a conviction that we want to be all about it, that we want to be people who speak it, that we want to be people who live by it, and we want to proclaim it to those who are around us for salvation's sake. Well, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you, as always, to be able to greet one another, but this time only shake elbows, okay? No hands, no sneezing on each other, any of those things. We want to remain uh, healthy for sure. But remember, uh, whenever we have guests, it may be one of the first times that they are uh, visiting here, and they don't need to know everybody, but they certainly need to know somebody. So make sure that you reach out and you take a few moments to be able to welcome them. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We thank you in all things. God, I thank you so much for the power of your word. I pray that we would be people of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You're dismissed.